0: You'll turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to read Matthew chapter 23. It's our sermon text this morning. There are two things that are helpful as you get ready to hear what is probably one of the most blunt chapters in the Bible. Um, Some people have called it harsh even. These are hard words. But if you remember last week, this is Jesus confronting his enemies. Telling them what they are like in love. And so that's why I'm calling this sermon, What Makes Jesus Weep? Because you need the whole picture. He says hard things, and he says hard things with tears. And so let's read Matthew 23 together, and then we'll pray. Or I will read it to you. This is God's word. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell. As yourselves woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he is bound by his oath you blind fools for which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred and you say if anyone swears by the altar it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar he is bound by his oath you blind men for which is greater, the gift or the altar, that makes the gift sacred? So whosoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whosoever, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin That the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape the sentence, being sentenced to hell? Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And All of this is God's word. It's true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father God, we are afraid to relax at times, and this passage doesn't help. <laughs> uh, and yet we know we're like Adam and Eve, afraid to be seen, we're hiding, and so I pray you would show us how the grace of your Son draws us out of hiding and sets us free from hypocrisy. So I pray you would make us a people who are merciful, who love justice, who are faithful, and by grace walk humbly with our God. I pray this in Jesus' name amen when I prepare the sermons I read the text but this is one of those that sounds it sounds worse when you read it out loud because it really is it's probably one of the most severe chapters in all of the Bible it makes us squirm it makes us wince I mean, it's so brutal that people in the history of the church have just said, well, that can't be Jesus because my Jesus wouldn't say such mean things. And so somehow we have to reconcile what Jesus says here about hell and judgment and hypocrisy with all of his actions and his commands to love your enemies, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that, this is just what people have done. They've said, this can't be my Jesus. And in perfect timing, the Babylon Bee helps us out here. Babylon Bee gave a great summary of how people deal with these kind of words. Maybe this is you. And Remember, Babylon Bee is satire. It's irony. It's showing us what we're like by being a little bit snarky. And so the headline was, Progressive Christian Criticizes Jesus for Not Being Very Christlike. And so here's, here's the article. Progressive Believer Wendy Butler, After Reading Several Chapters in the Gospels, criticized Jesus for not being very Christ-like. She says Jesus devotes entire sections of his sermons to ranting about archaic, ancient religious concepts like hell and the last judgment instead of just coming alongside the marginalized and affirming their sins. Very little of what Jesus did on earth I would describe as life-giving. Frankly, I do a better job of being Christ-like than Christ himself. And then it ends with, at publishing time, the horrified progressive Christian had just discovered the description of the Redeemer coming in wrath in Revelation 19. Ouch. (laughs) It's really pointed because that's really what we're being confronted with is, is Jesus going to be in our image or are we going to interact with the Jesus who really said these things? And so Jesus talked about hell and judgment more than anyone else in the Bible. If you take everything else in the Bible about hell and put it in a pile, and you put the pile of things that Jesus said about hell, his is bigger, greater, more. And in fact, as you, we're going we're to go to the cross. The closer Jesus gets to the cross, the more he talks about hell and judgment. It's like he can feel the heat of the fiery wrath that he's about to undergo, and he can't help but warning people. In love. And I want to argue this morning as we look at this that if you ignore this, if you reject it, or if you do what this is what we do as Americans, we just don't talk about it. But if you reject the idea that God is a God of justice, who will right all wrongs, who will, well, take care of those who fire stray bullets near children, if you don't have these views, uh, this understanding, you're never going to get rid of hypocrites. You're never going to cure hypocrisy. You're never going to have... You're not going to be able to rest. You're not going to be able to have the freedom to be yourself in God's presence and with your friends because you're always going to have the pressure to measure up. And so that, that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's, with, he's saying hell is real, judgment is real, but without this reality... You're not going to confront others. You can't change. And so let's look at it together. All right, this is Jesus weeping and warning at the same time. I'm going to split it into three parts. You have the first 12 verses where Jesus warns the arrogant. You have the verses 13 to 36 where Jesus warns the, the hypocrites. And then it ends with a weeping and warning for the unwilling. And so look verses 12, 1 through 12 here. Jesus starts by just saying that the greatest danger to everybody is pride, arrogance, self-love. This is the seed, the root of hypocrisy. But basically, what Jesus says to the crowds, to his disciples, to anybody who will listen, self-love will ruin you because God will humble you. Right? It's 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 be humbled. Stop loving yourself so much, and so we can look at this. Verse two and three says the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do observe whatever they tell you, not the works they do. But Jesus here is being very ironic. He's not saying be like the Pharisees because he spends the next chapter destroying them, verbally. And so it's it's very similar, right? He's saying, ironically, sure, be like those guys. Here's what they're like. Is this what you want? Right? It's like us saying these days, you should cheer for the winless Bills because they're the best team in the NFL. Right? Really, you're saying the opposite. And that's what Jesus does. He's holding up the Pharisees as an example of people who don't believe the gospel of grace, who don't know how to read the Bible, who, um, who are arrogant. And he's saying, this is a warning. Don't be like them. Right? Because whoever exalts himself, whoever puffs himself up, will be humbled but if whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the main point and the main problem of the Pharisees here is, is their religion, their spirituality, everything about how they see the world is all about them, and they don't have any other category, and they live for the acclaim, the applause, just being seen by others. That's verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen. Right? And It's not a bad thing, right? We love acclamation. I want someone to tell me... I'm, I'm doing a good job, right? If, if you never tell your children you are doing well, they end up with complexes, right? We're designed for praise. But what Jesus is saying is what Pharisees do and what we're all tempted to do is to make the praise of others the very center of our being. And when you do that, you're in danger of not believing the gospel, of not knowing God, of not obeying, right? So he just, just describes what they do, the phylacteries, right? It's a... These phylacteries were these ancient Jewish practice of having these little boxes that would contain scripture verses. You could, And they would either be like worn out like a bracelet on your arm or on your forehead. And basically, what it showed everyone is, look at me, I care about God's word. And because there were the Pharisees, they don't do anything halfway, their boxes were bigger than everyone else's. <laughs> right? And so this is kind of a joke. I mean, just picture someone with... Psalm 119 tattooed all over their body or just carrying around with like a giant two-by-two U-Haul box just hanging off their arm with, with the scriptures written on it. Jesus is saying, what are you doing? All you care about is being seen. You don't care about being seen by God. Which are two totally different motivations. I mean, what the Pharisees thrived on and survived on, their food and drink, so to speak, was the compliments of others. The applause, the honor. And so what he's saying is, the Bible can be used and abused to be just a, a mask to hide behind. But also it can be used just, just to use other people, to prop yourself up, to say, I'm a good person because I do this. Therefore, you who don't do this are less than me. And Jesus is going after that attitude, the pride. All right, these are all good things of being seen, of memorizing scripture, of being a leader, of teaching God's word. But it's really easy for these good things to hide a deep insecurity and a willingness to use God's people and God's word just to puff up your own ego. All right. and so one of the haunting things John o, I think it was John Owen said, it's in our reflection, is that a pastor may fill his pews he might fill out his communion role, the mouths of the public, they might praise him. But all that the minister is, is, is the man on his knees in the presence of God. That he is and no more. Just saying, God alone knows him. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, watch out. Is your religion more about you or is there more about God? And if you really say, no one can judge me, God alone is my judge, do you understand those words you're saying? And so the opposite, and this is helpful, right? live in the presence of God and other people without the obsessive need to be applauded, without always worrying what other people think. This is, this is the opposite of hypocrisy. Is <laughs> that I'm, a, I'm at peace with God's opinion of me, of what he's declared to be true in Christ. Right? And that, it's so hard for us to imagine of, of not having to exalt ourselves of, of not being offended when I don't get the seat I think I deserve, well, of not getting the gratitude I think I deserve, right, of just getting me out of the equation. I, I don't know how to do that. Some of you might remember Sally Field's famous Oscar speech, right? She finally won the award and she says, they like me, they really like me. And, and this is, that's a little bit different. What she actually said, and this just sums up how, we, how I roll, how I live, She said to everybody, I have wanted more, nothing more, I have wanted more, try that again, (laughs) I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. This is her second time getting an Oscar. She said, the first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that right now, you like me. You see how exhausting that is? Jesus is saying if, if your identity, if your way of living in God's world is to live for the applause of others, of craving respect, of being disappointed when you don't get it, or being mean and proud and arrogant when you do get it, um, that's the kind of religion God hates. Right? Because it's it makes a religion that is all about, about my obedience. And nothing about mercy and justice and faithfulness. It's all about me and how I'm doing. (laughs) And so you know what? I think this is what the biggest fear of a Pharisee is because this is, I think, like a Pharisee. We all have pharisaical-type hearts. We want that respect. And the biggest fear is to be found out as a fraud. And so we feel that pressure to exalt ourselves. Look at me. I prayed for two hours every day this week. How are you doing? And so for people to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing, that's terrifying. And so we have to fake it till we make it. We have to pretend. We have to hide. We're Adam and Eve in the garden again, hiding behind the trees. And we don't want people to know that we are commandment breakers. We are sinners. Uh, Four-letter words come out of our mouths. If you hit my hand with a hammer, unholy things come out. All right. That's the real us. And so Jesus is going after these specific people in a specific historical time, but he's he's warning them that only the humble get into heaven. Hell is a place full of arrogant people, people who are proud, and people who hate themselves because they're not good enough, but it's the same attitude. Somebody please like me out there right now. But if you look at how Jesus corrects them, he says, look in verse 8. He says, you're not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher and all brothers. No man, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father in heaven. And what Jesus is getting at here is, if you're a Christian, you don't need the applause. There's, there's one person you have to worry about, God the Father, Jesus the teacher. Don't try and steal his honor. Right? There's no need to live for titles. Titles aren't a bad thing. If you're a doctor and you earned it, Right? we're going to call you doctor but that shouldn't be your identity. It should be okay if someone doesn't call you that. All right. and, w- and all this is leading up to is, if you connect it to the gospel, is what we're called to do is get our very sense of being, our sense of identity, our applause, our respect from God himself. Let that be enough. Right. one of the ways I, re- I saw this lived out at seminary it was one of my professors, and he said, don't call me Doctor. And he said, because you know what? I know I worked hard to get this, but my treasure's in heaven. I don't need you to puff up my ego. So please help me stay humble. Just call me Miles. Okay. So he's warning the arrogant here. That's what this is all about. He's saying, "Prepare to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, God himself will lift you up higher than you are able to do yourself. And so next he moves on to the hypocrites. So he takes, he's, he's still aiming at the same people, but the first is a warning, right? If he's warning the arrogant, he's warning us, the people, the crowds, the disciples of saying, don't be like this, don't be like those guys. And then he says, here's why you shouldn't be like those guys. They aren't blessed, they're actually cursed, right? Because you read verses 13 to 36, there are seven woes and he just, it's like Jesus just explodes, Right? He calls them hypocrites, he calls them blind guides, he calls them basically the walking dead, They're whitewashed tombs, your sons of hell. He accuses them of breeding hell on earth. He calls them a brood of vipers, children of Satan, basically, the serpent. They are the slayer of God's prophets, sons of murderers. Right? There is nothing pleasant about this. And if this is your first time hearing... <laughs> This is your experience with the Bible, first experience. This is brutal. It seems excessive, but it's not. It's a warning to those who refuse to put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. It's his last plea, knowing that he's going to the cross, saying, please turn, change, repent. This is the culmination of three years of verbal battles with the Pharisees, and they have stubbornly said over and over and over again, no, in fact, you are from hell, we're from heaven. Right. So, how do you work through this? I'm just going to give you the framework. Right. What do you do with a woe? What is a woe? When was the last time you said woe to somebody? Right? Woes, on one hand, are a statement of condemnation. You are legally under the curse, you are legally under God's judgment. You're a sinner in danger. Right? We read Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, this is you. But it's also a lament. Right? You can't read verse, verses 13 to 36 without connecting it to 37. This is a warning that comes with weeping. And so it's, it's describing a miserable human being is what it's doing. And so, this is what really helped me understand the woes. Think of the woe as an opposite of a beatitude. You remember when we talked about the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we made clear that it's not telling you, it's not a to do statement first, it's a description. You are blessed if you are in the kingdom of heaven. And if you are not in the kingdom of heaven, you, you are filled with woe, you are cursed. So, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you are blessed through faith in Christ alone. If you are not in Christ through faith in Christ alone, right, you're under a woe. This is Jesus warning you because he loves you. He's describing the misery of what it's like to not know the gospel and believe it. The misery of those who are stuck on the treadmill of trying to impress everyone and God himself. The misery of a hypocrite. Right? And this is how you come to faith. We, just, we say this off and on here the Heidelberg Catechism, question one and two, you remember that? What is my only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who's fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the power of the devil. And it goes on, but the second question is, what do you have to do, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And you have to know how miserable you are. First, know how great my sins and misery are. Second, how to be delivered from it. And third, to be thankful for it. And so this is what a woe is. It's woe is a declaration from Jesus that if you are not in relationship with him, that the person, the hypocrite, the one living for the applause of others, you're miserable. So now own it. He's told you what you're like. So yeah, that is true. So hypocrites are miserable. That's the warning. Because this is what a hypocrite is. We've got to be clear here. A hypocrite is not somebody who makes mistakes. A hypocrite is not somebody who has failed to keep God's law. That's, what, that's the definition of a sinner. Uh, a lawbreaker. Trying to, to keep God's law and failing, right? whether intention or not, either way, you're a lawbreaker. That's, that's sin. A hypocrite is not somebody who says, do this, and then they don't do it, and you say hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite... Is a pretender. It's an actor. A hypocrite works really hard to use God's law and then other laws on top of it to appear to be good for the the reason that you would make a big deal about me. So they play it religion. I pray, I tithe, I come to church so that people will like me, so that God will like me. It's, it's all focused on externals. It's, it's putting on, well, it's like Sally Fields, right? You step into the role, and now I'm just going to pretend to be that person. That's a hypocrite. And what Jesus is saying, if you, this is about woe. Do you see how miserable that is? To have that deep-seated anxiety, that neurotic need to be liked, that... If you do well, people will respect you, they will praise you, but eventually you're going to screw up and they're going to blast you on Twitter and you're going to drop from up here and go all the way down and you're going to want to jump off a bridge. That's what happens to people in our culture today. All right. So when Jesus says, "Woe," and you know you have that anxiety of wanting to be liked by God and by others, think of it as a check engine light. I'm living for the wrong person. I'm not believing the gospel right now. All these woes are aimed at people. People who think that God just wants them to be good. And the gospel's different. All right? So let me pause here. This is really encouraging. If you are here and you're just feeling terrible because you have failed, Jesus is not yelling at you like this. <laughs> right? When Jesus talks to prostitutes, when he talks to tax collectors, when he talks to moral failures, when people who are just at their wits' end because they cannot change themselves, Jesus comes alongside of them and says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. What Jesus takes aim at with his most brutal, honest, and painful words are those who are sick and think they're healthy. Saying, wake up. All right, and so you go through this. Here are some of the insults. Hypocrites are blind. They live for the acclaim of others and they're not aware that they're doing the damage they're doing is leading people away from God. They're blind guides. All right. And so the first one here. He calls the Pharisees, though at the closer of doors, you shut heaven in people's faces. You walk around saying, come to God, come to God. And you're not actually inviting them in, you're actually pushing them away. You're like a blind guide. Right? Nobody wants a blind guide near the Grand Canyon. And surely heaven and hell is more serious. All right. And so the, the accusation is... You use God's law and tell people to God's law to obey God's law but by telling them to obey and not trust in God's son you're breeding people who are who have more hell in them than you do which means they're they're trusting in their own works even more than you are right now. And so if all you ever hear from Christianity is to do better, try harder, leap farther, you're not hearing the gospel. That's that's hypocrisy. That's that's teaching you to put on a mask. And start pretending, another woe. All right they're blind. One of the things they would do is tell people they had a whole system of when and you when you could tell the truth and when you could fudge it a little. All right is, And so that's what all this stuff is. If you swear by the temple, you're fine. If you have to change your mind, that's that's okay. But if you swear by the temple, the gold of the temple, now that's serious. You better keep that or you're going to hell. All right. And Jesus' point is that every word matters in God's world. Where can you go to escape the presence of the Lord? So why would you set up this silly system to pretend to be better than you are? And so Jesus says, you're blind even in your teaching. Come out, be honest. Just say, I didn't want to do this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't do this. I didn't show up. I'm unfaithful. Forgive me. Be honest. Because the greatest fear of a hypocrite is to be seen as a failure, and that's what Jesus is aiming at, is he want, I want you to see yourself as a sinner. So hi- hypocrites are blind. They only care about the external. There's some great word pictures here. They, they're all about behavior and not about motivation. Right? So one is, it's a little bit funny, you don't when you do the dishes, you don't, um, you don't just wash the outside and leave the moldy tea on the inside and then take another drink. Nobody does that. And yet here are the Pharisees saying, I'm good, I tithe. But on the inside, they hate giving away money because their money's only theirs. How dare you tell me how to spend my money? Or on the outside, they say, we're, we're pro-marriage. But on the inside, they're full of lust for all the women around them. Self-indulgence. See, the hypocrites have an outside-in approach to change where it's only behavior. Not about love, not about motivation. And it makes you weird. You're not consistent. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, that's, that's the funny part of the way. Jesus does use comedy here, even though it's painful. This is a roast. Right? Because one of the laws in the Old Testament was that some animals were clean and some were unclean. Right? A gnat, a bug, is unclean. If you eat something unclean, you can't even come into God's presence because only the, the perfect can come into God's presence. It was a cultural thing that you must be holy as God is holy. You're going to be different from people around you. And Jesus said, look, you're so worried about your tithe and you're not worried about the bigger things, and it's just like taking a gnat out of your, your tea and leaving the camel. Right? It's silly. Right? Why would you leave a filthy? That's what the camel was just the largest unclean animal in the scriptures. Why would you do that? All right, and so these are the kind of accusations. What good is condemning sexual immorality on the outside when on the inside you're a ravenous adulterer? What good is tithing to look good if on the inside you hate being generous and you're disgusted by the poor? What's the point of leaving a filthy hoof filled with manure, right, as a camel would walk on the road? It's gross. Why would you leave that in your coffee but worry about that fly over there? Deal with the whole problem. And the problem is, hypocrites love applause, but they hate looking inside because they're terrified of what's in there. They know, we know. Because hypocrites ignore mercy, faithfulness, and justice. And that's really the core. If there are seven woes, the middle one is the most important. And he says, look, you're missing the heart of the law, which is to be like God himself, merciful, just, and faithful. And the main example here is tithing. It's not bad to tithe their spice garden like they're doing, (laughs) mint, dill, cumin. The command was to give 10% of your harvest to God. Um, And they just went the extra step. It wasn't just their vegetables. They also brought in their spices. And it's actually not a bad deal if, if you have a, a landowner who says, give me 10%, that's all you have to do is give 10% of your, your income, that's, that's a pretty good business deal. That's the base level of how much um, the Old Testament said you should give to God. 10% of what you own, because all of you is belong, owned to God, just give back 10%. And What Jesus says, if you, you're ignoring mercy, uh, you're ignoring justice, You're ignoring faithfulness. He's saying to them, you claim to tithe, you love people seeing you give money, but you hate the poor. Your your generosity is all about you saying, I'm a generous person. And you ignore the fact that that the, the reason we give is to be like God, to give to people who don't deserve it because God's given to us who don't deserve it. To do justice, which is to, help, to care about the flourishing of all your neighbors, not just the people like you. Uh, to be faithful. See, say, I'll give, and give, whether, give when it hurts. Right? You know, faithfulness is being faithful to the unfaithful, of, always, of just being trustworthy and reliable. And so really what Jesus is getting at is I know this is hard. I want to get to the good news in a moment. But he's saying, you know, when, when, when you're, for hypocrites, if your goodness is all about you, it's all about impressing, impressing God and impressing others. Your goodness actually pushes you away from God and pushes you away from other people. He's saying, is your external goodness keeping you away from the immoral, the people you think are worse than you? Or do you love mercy and move towards moral failures? That's law-keeping. And this is this is the woe, and and the warning that comes. If I could summarize all of what we've said, you know, the Pharisees are afraid of of owning their sin. They're afraid of being honest about it. They're afraid of confessing. They're afraid of being sinners in the hands of an angry God. And how do you? Right, you, you learn this as kids. Kids, right? I learned this as a teenager. The way I got out of and avoided the wrath of my parents was to not do the dumb things my siblings did. <laughs> right? If, if I come home and, and keep curfew, I don't get in trouble, and they don't ask questions. But if, if my sibling comes home and they're after the curfew, right? they get in trouble, and I learn really quickly that the way to get my parents off my back is to be, to be good. And Jesus says, that's the seed of hypocrisy. You heard it just in how I said it, right? I didn't do the dumb things my siblings did. That's, that's, that's just pride. And so when it comes to the gospel, we're being called here by Jesus as you hear the woes to not only repent of the bad things you do, but to repent of the good things because it's so easy to use the good things to run away from God's wrath. So do you know how to do that? Here's the the last part and the conclusion here. There's a lot we could do. I I love you too much to spend, you know, seven weeks on on woes. (laughs) But this is all one conversation. This is all one big shotgun blast from Jesus aiming at our repentance. And it ends with a lament. It ends with tears. It ends with Jesus being emotionally affected that people will not change. He cries, which tells you how we should talk about hell and judgment. Because when he talks about them not repenting in their stubbornness, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you're just not unwilling. And this is is really what the point is. Are you willing to submit yourself to Jesus? Are you willing to run to Jesus for refuge to save yourself from hell and judgment? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to be seen, to be known, to be honest, to confess? Because then what Jesus does, is he just weeps. He says, God's judgment is fair. He's going to, this is what hell is. Everything will be made known. You'll finally get what your heart is longed for. You will be seen. But he's going to see everything about you. The good and the bad. And on the last day. And those who are in Christ will come through that day rejoicing. And those who are outside of Christ, those who are unwilling, will be seen, known, and judged based on their own merits. Based on their, well, twofold. Their obedience to the moral law and, and even their own standards that they don't keep. And so this is just helpful. This is how you talk about hell and judgment with friends, with tears. And if you're not one to show tears, at least with a soft heart, because hell, according to Jesus, is the destiny for the unwilling, those who refuse to admit that Jesus is their Savior and King. And this is what Pac- J.I. Packer is really helpful here, a Christian teacher. He says, Jesus sees hell as self-chosen. It's God's, it appears to be God's gesture of respect for human choice. Everybody will get what they chose. Eternity with God, enjoying him, worshiping him, or eternity without God, worshiping yourself, still on that endless treadmill, wanting to be liked. So, what is hell? The image of hell Jesus uses is Gehenna, and it's a place where all the trash burned, where you literally fall apart, and it's it's a metaphor. It's not that you're going to go burn forever. It's it's saying you're you're just going to fall apart for eternity. You're going to, you're going to be fractured, and that's what hypocrisy is. It's a hellish life where you claim to be this and you're actually this, and you just agonize about the difference. And that goes on forever and gets worse and worse. Right? Because your identity literally fractures. You become what other people think of you, and then you're up and down and all over, and it's just a miserable experience. And the doctrine of hell then is. Is God coming in judgment of saying, you have the choice to be healed, to be honest, to be forgiven, or you have the choice to just continue to forge your own identity and just live with the inequality, (laughs) just live with your weakness. Or as someone has once said, hell is the place where everyone is said to God, or heaven is the place where everyone is said to God, your will be done. Hell is the place where everyone has said to God, my will be done. Jesus is warning the unwilling here. And it, but this is actually the cure. This is what you need. The cure for our hypocrisy, our arrogance, our stubborn refusal to repent. When you do repent, it, it heals you. Jesus says, I would gather you like a mother hen protects her children. And that is a picture of the mother taking all the hits to protect the children. Jesus is saying, if you would repent, I would go through hell for you. If you would confess your sin, I would burn up for you so that you would be safe. I will die for you so that the only thing that hits you is the shadow of death. Come and be, be safe. Right? And he's saying that to those who would kill him, his enemies. I would die for you. Woe to you because you, you won't. And this is really the gospel. (laughs) This is a picture, you need hell. If you don't have hell, you don't know how loved you are in Christ. Jesus loves you this much that he weeps for you when you refuse to be honest and he loved you so much that he would stand like a mother hen on the cross and bear the full fiery wrath of God's judgment for people who are moral failures. And he did that. He, He came to to, to give us heaven so that we don't have to go through hell, so that we could be free from our hypocrisy, so that you could be the person that God has declared you to be. Well, we said it this morning, right? He's, by one offering, he's made perfect those who he is changing. How can you improve on being perfect, <laughs> being declared perfect? And What this does is just set you free, take off the mask. What does God think of you right now in Christ? Outside of Christ, he says, whoa. Inside of Christ, he says what? You're blessed. That though you're more sinful than you would ever dare admit, you are loved more than you can imagine. And right now, you can't do anything more to make him more proud of you. Jesus loves me every day the same. All right. So look, just put it this way. Hypocrisy is stupid in light of the gospel. <laughs> what, you have to, what are you pretending? What are you hiding? It's scary with people, I admit. Right In, in a Christian culture, we have these standards. But, but the, what the gospel is creating is a culture of people that set us free from our hypocrisy because we all stand under God's knowing gaze in Christ, and he sets us free. You can be honest. So... If you reject hell, you're going to be stuck with this treadmill of hypocrisy. But if you embrace it, you're going to see how loved you are and how free you are. What will you choose? To have Jesus weep for you? Or you choose your own tears at the end? So hear the gospel. <laughs> right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right now, God really likes you. <laughs> Rest in that. Take off the mask and go and learn the freedom of being in a relationship with a God who loves you that much. Let's pray. And Father, it's hard to to hear these things, that that hell is real, that judgment is real, and and that we're not perfect. And yet, so I pray that out of all the things we heard today, we would Hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus went through hell for us, so that we would not have to, and that we would believe the gospel. We would believe that we are righteous in your sight; we are perfect, and you are so loving and patient. You're working on our hypocrisy, <laughs> and so thank you for forgiving even that. And I pray that uh, for our church now, Lord, that that this would be a place where people feel free. And comfortable in their own skin, uh, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. Um, to confess and to follow this Jesus <laughs> who promises to take us to a world where we'll be fully seen and fully known, and we won't have anything to be ashamed of because that heavenly applause, um, your pride in us, will just eradicate hypocrisy forever. And we look forward and long to that day. So change us now, we pray in Christ's name, amen.